This is Everything is Interesting on X-Ray FM right here in Great Portland, Oregon. I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I am Kira Kleinberg. And we are in the studio today with our good friend, Emily Golan. Hello, ladies. Hi, Emily. Emily. Oh, I'm so excited to see you again. No, we're always so excited to do the show with you. We have a quick announcement first. Unfortunately, we have had to cancel our Petalpalooza Science Project bike ride that was scheduled for this Saturday. Sorry. But don't worry, bikes are still on our mind. In honor of Portland's month-long celebration of all things bike and cycle-related, on today's show we will be talking about the science that drives our bicycles. This is part one in a two-part series of Everything is Interesting, all about bikes. Today we'll be talking about how our bikes help us multiply our effort to get us going real fast. And next week we'll tackle some other fun stuff like air resistance and drafting. Okay, so to get a moving object to be more efficient, you either need to reduce the stuff that's in your environment that's trying to slow you down, or you need to find a way to increase the amount of energy you can put into getting that object to move. For a human moving on their own, we don't have many options to alter the environment to make walking or running more efficient, and increasing our overall energy input towards moving is tough. While there is variation among individuals, and training can, you know, help push it up a bit, our bodies are only able to generate so much energy on their own. Now enter the bicycle. Much like how the exosuits and aliens transformed Sigourney Weaver from flimsy human into mega-strong alien-fighting superhero, your bike transforms the minimal work your muscles can do as you pedal into some serious power that propels you across great distances Great speed. How excited were you to be able to put an aliens reference? That in was the like show? the first thing I wrote in the show. <laughs> I was like, none of the rest of this matters. Transferring energy. <laughs> oh, I know. Everything hangs on that. Uh-huh. I guess if I think about how many miles I can walk or run before I get tired versus how many miles I can bike, yeah, I can go a lot farther mm-hmm. on a bike with a lot less effort. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Bikes help make you more efficient than you would be on your own. They help you overcome the limitations of your own human muscles. And like my grandmother used to say, why work harder when you can work smarter? Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, high five. Grandma wisdom for the win. Grandma wisdom. So let's find out what it is about a bike that actually helps you work smarter. First off, a bike reduces the amount of individual movements your body has to do to propel you forward. On a bike, your body is positioned so that your arms, hips, and spine stay relatively stationary. It's mostly your legs that do the moving when you ride. Think of it this way. Alternatively, when you're walking or running, you're using your whole body. Every single time you take a step, the knee of the standing leg bends a little, lowering the whole body downwards. And then you have to use some of your hard-earned energy to flex the knee and lift the body back up to take the next step. At the same time, your arms are swinging, your hips are twisting, and your spine is bending, unbending, and bending again. And not to mention, every single time you place your foot back down on the ground, the ground sort of steals and absorbs back some of that energy in your leg, hence why it stops moving. So whatever energy you spend on walking has to get dished out over all these different requirements. 
Of all the energy we expend during the walking process, only about 65% of it actually propels our bodies forward. Wow, really? Only that much? Yeah, you're losing like a third of your energy to all these like wiggles. Yeah, wiggling. Wiggle energy. Is that 35% (laughs) wiggle? You're going to see us walking down the street and like, why are they walking like that? (laughs) So much energy for wiggling. Yeah, I lose 50% of my walking energy to wiggling. It's, It's an individual number, I suppose. But here's the thing. By using a bicycle, you get to conserve some of that energy because on a bike, you can keep much more of your body sort of stationary. In fact, using the same amount of energy that you would on a bike, you can actually travel three times faster than your normal walking speed. That makes sense. I'm saving energy because my legs do all the work. Yeah, but that's not just all. A bike also takes the energy from your legs and multiplies it. Wow, that's so cool. You're math. I mean, the bike is math. <laughs> the bike is math. <laughs> math. I want Bikes that equal math. End of show. <laughs> Bye. Well, You've got 20 minutes to fill this in with whatever you want. Actually, so a bicycle, I mean, there's math in it, but it's actually, it's not math. It's a combination of several simple machines. And a simple machine is a basic mechanical device that is very useful to us, puny humans, because it allows us to do a lot more work with a lot less effort. Levers, pulleys, wedges, and of course wheels are all simple machines. They change the direction or the magnitude of the force that we exert by substituting work for another factor like distance. And on your bike, the pedal and the crank arm, that's that, you know, that beam that attaches the pedals to the gears, they act as a lever for you. Wait, when I imagine a lever, I think of a seesaw-shaped thing. You know, you push down on one end with little effort and it lifts up the other side Mm -hmm. easily. But bike pedals don't look much like a seesaw. You're right. That is sort of the classical lever image that we all think of. The lever on a bike, though, applies the same principles as a seesaw lever, but it looks a little different. And to help us explain, let's turn to our special guest, our in-studio fourth grade teacher, and also my mom, Robin (laughs) Ingle. Hello, everyone. Hi, Robin. Okay, so the seesaw-type lever substitutes the work of lifting an object at one end for the distance the other end has to travel when you push down on it. Increase the height of the side of the seesaw you push down on, and you end up decreasing the amount of work it takes to lift the other side. But that seesaw structure isn't the only kind of lever out there. The pedals on your bike more closely resemble a different type of lever, but one that is still pretty recognizable, a wrench. The wrench acts as a lever by trading the work of turning the bolt for the distance the wrench handle travels around the bolt. Increase the length of the handle and the circumference of the circle the wrench makes increases, while the work it takes to get the bolt to move decreases. In the case of your bike, the crank arm is like the wrench, and the wheels are the bolts that need to turn. By utilizing the pedal-wheel combo as a wrench-like lever, your bicycle multiplies the effort you put forth. The work you put into turning the wheel as you pedal is increased thanks to the distance the pedal has to travel during one rotation. Oh man, I miss fourth grade and my teacher, Mrs. Helmet. Thank you so much, Robin. (laughs) You're all welcome. Fourth grade corner with my mom. So I'm betting that the longer the crank arm holding the pedal is, the easier it is to move the wheels. Yep, because you get more distance traveled for each rotation with a longer crank arm. Unfortunately, the crank arm can only be so long because, you know, our legs are only so long. 
So unless, says you. Right. <laughs> unless you have stilts or you're a robot or what's that? Remember that toy that there you could like stretch Armstrong? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're probably like fancy extensions you can buy for your legs. <laughs> like right. You know, for your fancy super So incredible. many options. Yes. So, I mean, it's technology, One day right? we'll have to do a show on those legs that, um, have you ever seen, uh, they're artificial legs, but they kind of look like Nike swishes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they, yeah, they, yeah the they, they go really fast. I also just got an image of us, like we're walking along and we're wiggling a lot. And now I'm also <laughs> imagining that then we jump on a bike that has these ridiculously long pedals and we have, and we have on. crazy stilts on our legs and people are just like they're like what is with those super long legged are, wiggle people yeah. what is going on <laughs> okay okay but so but increasing the length of the arm of the pedal it's luckily for us with our short legs our, it's not the only way you can get more work out of your bike lever so the wheel size contributes too the bigger the wheel is compared to the circumference of the rotation your crank arm has to make the more distance you'll get out of every turn of your pedals. I know this is confusing, but stick with us. If you were riding the world's most average bicycle, your crank arm would probably be, eh, let's say six inches long. Since the crank arm acts as the radius of the circle your foot is making, that means that for every rotation, your tootsies are traveling 37.7 inches. Now, if the wheel on that same average bicycle also had a radius of six inches, you'd have basically a one-to-one -one ratio. Boring. So for every 37.7 inches your tootsies traveled around the pedals, your bike would also only move 37.7 inches across the ground. That would not be super efficient. But luckily, normal bike wheels are a lot bigger than that. If a bike wheel has a radius of, say, 30 inches, then you have a one to five ratio. Then for every 37.7 inches of a rotation your feet make, the bike would move nearly 145 inches across the ground. So much more. That's almost four times more than the wheel with the puny six inch radius would get you. Which is why we don't see bikes with six inch wheels. Also, I think they'd be really hard to balance on. So then to go the fastest, I want the biggest bike wheel possible. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. In a thought experiment like we're doing here that only considers the crank arm to wheel ratio, yes, you could say, sure, that would be the case. But in reality, the problem with making your wheels bigger and bigger is that each increase in size also adds to the overall mass of your bike. To get more kinetic energy, the kind that, you know, you need to increase speed, requires that with every bit of added mass, you also need to increase the energy that you put into the system. So depending on the material, at some point, the wheels of a bike would just be so massive that the amount of energy you'd need to put into turning the pedals to get it moving at all would just be ridiculous. And it would override the benefits of having this incredible crank-to-wheel ratio. So at some point, I'd just be sitting on a hilariously oversized bike, With huffing and wheels. puffing, and not going anywhere because I don't have enough energy to get the pedals to turn around. Yeah, you'd be like, <laughs> and you're wiggling. And nothing would be happening. <laughs> and you're on stilts. <laughs> yeah, this is a hard day for you, Emily. <laughs> what about the tires that are on the wheel? Those affect your ability to increase speed too, don't they? Yeah. That actually brings us to a question submitted by one of our awesome Portland listeners, Justin Burton. He asks, why is it so much harder to ride a bike when the tire pressure is low than when the tire pressure is high? Oh, this is a good question. I, for one, have definitely noticed that if my tires are deflated a bit, it takes way more work to get my bike up to speed. Yeah, yeah. That have you ever had those me. moments where you're like, why am I so out of shape today? <laughs> and then you're like, so oh, tired. my tires are completely yes, deflated. Yes, and then I go, oh no, why do I have such a terrible memory and I forgot to inflate my tires? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like a lose-lose. If you're really going to try and put the pedal to the metal on your bike, then yes, you're going to need some well pumped up tires. That's because your tires and specifically the air pressure inside them are essential components in overcoming something called 
Friction. Friction, friction, friction. By the way, if you're just joining us, this is Everything is Interesting on X-Ray FM. I'm Kira. I'm Kira. And we're in the studio with Emily Gilliland. Hello. And we're talking about how bicycles use science to allow you to use your energy more efficiently. Science, 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 science. <laughs> I love this episode. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> Overcaffeinated and underslept is the theme of our show. So when you pedal your bike to get the wheels moving, those wheels have to overcome the friction that the ground is constantly exerting onto them. How rude. Every molecule of your bike that comes in contact with a molecule of the street is going to experience an attraction we call friction. And this attraction works against your speed. Stupid friction. So the larger, so rude, also keeps you on the earth, but you know. So the larger the surface area of the wheel that is touching the ground, the greater friction you have to overcome. Less surface area means more speed. Exactly. This is why road bikes have such super thin wheels and tires. It makes that bike, you know, or allows the bike to go a little bit faster than, say, like a fat tire mountain bike. But regardless of its thickness on the outside, it's the pressure on the inside of the tire that's going to greatly influence the surface area of the, of the tire that actually comes into contact with the ground. If you look at it head on, you'll notice that the, a well-inflated tire looks a bit like a dome with the highest point at the very center of the wheel. Thanks to forward momentum and also practice, it's pretty easy to get your wheels to balance on that center point of the tire when you're riding, meaning that very little of the tire's surface area actually has to come in contact with the street. Less surface area in contact means less friction, which helps you get up to speed a lot easier. More speed. But the pressure inside the tire needs to be at a certain level to be optimal. When you sit on the bike, the pressure from all those air molecules bouncing around inside the inflated tire pushes on the inside of the tire. So if your tires, like mine, when I can't remember to pump them up, are not inflated enough, then the pressure pushing back against your weight just won't be sufficient to keep the tires from sort of warping a little bit and flat out. And a warped flattened tire has a lot more surface area and thus experiences more friction from the road. By inflating the tire to optimal pressure levels, we create a situation where we can push down on our bikes with quite a lot of force before the tires begin to warp. So, you know, if you're like us and maximizing speed and maximizing effort is your goal, which hopefully everybody wants to do, then you should check your tire pressure regularly to ensure that you have enough air molecules in there to keep the greatest amount of the rubber lifted off the ground as possible. Hey, thanks, air molecules. Yeah. Okay, so let me recap. My bike is a machine that works as a lever to make the energy I put in as I pedal go farther. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Size of my wheels help to make the pedaling I do more efficient. Mm -hmm. And having tires with enough pressure in them helps to reduce the slowing effects of friction. Yeah. And, and all nice. the wiggling that you do on your bike makes it really <laughs> fun to watch you go down the street. No, I don't do. wiggle. We no, don't oh, wiggle. right, right, right. Oh. Yeah, sorry, 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 I so sorry. love the wiggle. wiggle. I mean, you can, <laughs> by all means. I think the, the bike parade that we're inventing in my imagination right now is, like, <laughs> fantastic. It's not efficient, but it's great. It's not efficient, but boy, is it fun. So... Where do the gears on my bike come into the speed equation? Do they help me go faster, more efficient? What are they doing exactly? Ah, the gears. So the gears are also helping you make the most efficient use of your energy, but they're doing it by allowing you to change how you spend your energy. So when biking on flat ground, you'll probably want to devote most of your muscle power to speed. But when going up a steep hill, it's way more important to focus on getting up the climb. Gravity is the strongest force of resistance that a cyclist encounters, thus why it's so hard to get up a steep hill. But introduce some gears, and riding uphill is suddenly a little less strenuous, at least in my experience. Together, the tires and wheels on your bike make up another type of simple machine called, fittingly, a wheel and axle. 
every wheel that actually rolls an object around, like the ones on your car, your grocery cart, or whatever, will have an axle. It's that bar in the center that the wheel is attached to. The axle has a much smaller circumference than the wheel does. So when you manually try and turn the smaller axle in the middle of that wheel, the bigger wheel will also move. So the axle is multiplying the force you put in and transferring it to the much bigger wheel. On a bike, both the front and back wheels spin on axles, which help to propel you forward. But getting the small axle to turn in the first place on your bike, it takes quite a bit of effort. Because unlike the lever we talked about earlier, you don't have a large circumference to help you out. But this is where gears come in. Gears, gears, gears. Gears. They allow you to spread out the work you have to do in order to get that axle to turn. And they spread it out over a greater distance. And like with the lever, the more you spread out the work, the easier it is to do. Okay, so imagine your gears. Take a look at them. They, depending on how many you have, they, regardless of how many you have, they will all have varying circumferences, right? Bigger ones, small ones, etc. Every time you switch between gears of different sizes, the number of times that you have to pedal to get the wheel to make a single rotation will change. To put your bike in, quote, the lowest gear, you will want the gear attached to your pedals to be on the relatively small side. So let's say it has 22 teeth. Hope you're all imagining that. And then the gear attached to your back tire, you want to be on the relatively large size. Let's say uh, 30, 30 teeth. Yeah, so like bigger, bigger. This is about a 0.75 to 1 gear ratio. That means for every single pedal stroke you do, the wheel will only turn 0.75 times. You won't move forward very quickly in this gear because your wheel isn't covering very much ground per pedal stroke. But the force you have to exert to move the bike tire forward a few inches is now spread out over the whole circumference of the back gear. And because you've chosen a large back gear, it's much easier to turn the wheel. So just like you did with the lever, you're exchanging a longer distance for less work. Mm, So less distance equals less effort. Yes. I imagine this is really handy when you're going up a hill and fighting a strong resistance force like gravity. That, hold on, that's a very confusing statement. Less distance of your wheel, but more distance of your gear. Yes. This is maybe is a little one of the more confusing <laughs> shows we've ever done. All our listeners, good luck out there. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> We're doing our best. We drink more coffee. So you're, so you're right. Like a, Gravity actually is one of the strongest resistive forces that a cyclist has to. It might even be the strongest resistant force that a cyclist has to contend with. I'm pretty sure it is. Unless you are encountering monsters. Oh, yeah. Those the giant monsters pushing <laughs> against you. But okay, but let's say you're not fighting gravity, like when you're riding on flat ground. Lessening the effort that you put in isn't really as important to you because getting your axle to turn in the first place is much easier. So now you can switch and you can switch gears. Uh, <laughs> so that the more effort you put in, the more they actually end up maximizing the effort. To put your bike in, quote, the highest gear, you're putting a much bigger gap between the sizes of your front and back gears. The gear attached to your pedal, let's say, has 44 teeth, while the back gear has 11. So that gives you a 4 to 1 gear ratio. This larger ratio means that for every single pedal turn that you do, the bike wheel actually rotates four times. That's super efficient. Wow, so you get a lot more distance out of every pedal turn. Exactly. Okay. Yep. This is a great way to cover a lot of ground in a little bit of time, but it is harder. The work needed to move the bike forward is only spread out over the small front chain wheel, so it takes, you know, more effort to move the bike in this higher gear. Ah, trade-offs. So so what I'm getting from all this talk about simple machines is that spreading work out over a greater distance makes work 
easier to do. Yep, and a bicycle is great at doing that for us. You know what? I, I feel bad because we haven't included the producers in this show at all yet. So do you guys have any really good bike stories? Oh, yeah, for sure. I know. Amalia? Well, the other day, and I'm very proud of this, I biked 40 miles all the way to Boring, nice. Oregon. This is Amalia, by the way. Um, and may I just say, when you get the inertia going, you feel so good. But afterwards, my legs felt like lead. Oh, for like, sure. <laughs> don't know that I'll be doing it anytime soon. I do like hearing about the, the science behind uh, my ability to keep going or my ability to slow down. And um, it, it just provides a little bit of uh, a framework yeah. for uh, for my ride. So I thank could, you for can, that. Can you imagine how much your legs would hurt if you had like walked or run that 40 miles? Oh, God. No. <laughs> Does it kind of make you wish you had a bike that you could like use your legs and your arms and your wiggling so that your that legs wouldn't thing. hurt so is, bad? Isn't there a bicycle where you can use your legs and your arms? Or did I, I just like make yeah, it? Yeah, like there's a hand crank. Yeah, yeah there's a hand crank. Is they got hand? recumbent bicycles, which I think is also very interesting in terms of... um. You know, how you're displacing your weight in mm -hmm. it and a completely different center of gravity mm -hmm. and uh, different muscles that you're working out for it. I think recumbent bicycles are, are far more efficient That's than what regular I, I did. I did read that, but I didn't have time to get into it on yeah. the show, so maybe we'll do it in You know what? Two. I feel like if we put a la listener shout out, somebody is going to text us and tell us why recumbent bicycles Please do. Are somebody <laughs> tell us. More efficient. That's <laughs> um, true. How much did you wiggle when you were on your bicycle and did you wear stilts? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, not much, and obviously, yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> My answers to that. Yeah. Okay, Joey, how about you? Any good bike stories? Well, I mean, honestly, I, I will say that I've I've been sweating a little bit listening to the, the show today. I haven't <laughs> oh, no. biked in a long time, so just hearing, all like, biking 40 miles, Amalia, that's... If you're, sweat, if you're sweating yeah. just Pretty sitting there, it. you yeah. probably shouldn't <laughs> no. get on a bike. Are you, are you sweating because you're nervous that we're going to ask you a question, or you're the, sweating because just the thought of The exercise. thought of working <laughs> that hard, the exercise. The most exercise I've had recently is just getting out of bed, to be honest. Well, but, you, you know what? But you get out of bed so early to get to this so show. Well. <laughs> you do it so well. Exactly. That's what makes it work. You know? <laughs> but no, my, my the tires of my bike, uh, embarrassingly enough, have not been inflated for for couple months now. Oh, you got to get them inflated. You got to get yeah. out there. They're gonna, yeah, you're there gonna is go something real slow. so satisfying about pumping up your bike tires and then you get on it and you're like, I'm so fast. I'm so mm -hmm. strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so strong. And I'm so strong. Absolutely. <laughs> I need that. I'll, I'll get into it. Emily, you got anything? See, I prefer to run. It's, oh. I, it's, 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 uh, you don't fall as far. <laughs> so my last bike story is me wiping out oh. on streetcar tracks. So it's everybody has that. Everyone yeah. has that story. I tell this to everybody who's new to Portland. I'm like, oh, don't. And everyone's like, I'll be fine. I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. You're going to bike down that street yeah. with the, the streetcar tracks. And then you're going to see the little sign with the man who's falling. And you're like, no, I'm that man. Well, exactly. Don't you got to be safe. Don't feel bad because running is still a really good form of exercise, <laughs> even if it's not quite as efficient as a bike. It I'm doesn't matter. A future you sure everything is an interesting episode. Running versus biking. Let's compete. Yeah. Yes. Because where I just and cry in the corner. Like, please yeah. don't make me run. We'll, we'll, we'll have you raise Amalia and we'll see what happens. So. <laughs> I think I know the answer. Challenge accepted. <laughs> All right. Well, that's just about all the time we have today. Thanks so much for joining us on Everything is Interesting. Next week, we'll be tackling a bunch of other fun bike-related science. Tune in to find out why air molecules are a cyclist's worst enemy, at least when they're not inside your tires, and why your bike frame is truly an awesome feat of engineering. 
again. We are totally bummed that we had to cancel our science project Petalpalooza ride, but don't worry, there will be more fun science on the horizon. Emily Gilliland, as always, it was such a pleasure learning science with you today. Thank you, too, for all that you do and inspiring more people to get excited and inspired by science. Oh, thank you. And of course, thanks to our lovely production team, Amalia and Joey, here in the X-Ray Studios. We could not do this without you, literally. Yeah. Nor could we do this without all of you guys out there, our amazing listeners. We love you guys. We really, really do. And if you'd like to support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash everything is interesting. And if you want to listen to this and any other episode of Everything is Interesting, you can find them all on our website, which is everythingisinteresting.org. We are also available as a subscribable podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please send us your comments, feedback, and burning science questions. Follow us on Twitter at at Kira and Kira. That's K-I-R-A-A-N-D-K-E-E-R-A. Yeah, you thought we were the same person, but we're two different people. <laughs> Find us on Facebook at Everything is Interesting Podcast or email us at hello at everythingisinteresting.org. For now, I'm Kira Klingenberg. I'm Kira Lindenberg. Wait, hold on. I forgot to thank my mom. Robin oh Engel. my gosh, Thanks, we mom. have to thank Robin. Thank you, Robin. This is Everything is Interesting, right here on X-Ray FM, where radio is yours. Yes, please. Here comes